Bible Church. My name is Dave Munzinger, and I'm the care and counseling pastor here at Cypress Bible Church. On behalf of all of us, we just want to say thank you for joining us here today, whether you're in person or you're viewing us online. CBC is a church uh, that begins where we are and we become more like Jesus as our goal. The values that we have are gather, grow, and go. And this is the process by which we are molded more into the image of Jesus. We gather in life-changing worship, we grow in life-changing truth, and we go in life-changing mission. No matter where you are in that journey of faith, we hope that you consider joining with us as we seek to honor him. Hopefully you've had a chance to look at our worship slides or go to our website or you get our emails to know more what we're doing throughout the week as we have a number of ministries that you can participate in. We do want to make sure that you're aware, aware of a few things that are changing for Christmas Eve this year. I know we're just getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, but in advance notice of our services for Christmas Eve, in the past, our services were held at four and six, but this year we're going to move them up an hour to five and to set, I mean, from five to seven, we're going to move them up to four and six. So what do you need to remember is for our Christmas Eve services, they'll be at 4 p.m., and 6 p.m. And they will also be streamed as well if you're unable to be here in person. I want to invite you now to join together as one body to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus in praise. It is he that invites us into his conversation. It's a holy and eternal conversation, and we respond to him with thankfulness for all who he is and for all that he has done and continues to do for us, his people. So hear from Psalm 96.9 for our call to worship this morning. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Let's stand together.
Jesus, it is our hope to begin where we are and become more like Him. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 13-16. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy.
Let this be our prayer this morning. Lord, take our lives. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Lord, take my hands. Will you sing it? Take my hands and let them at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee swift and beautiful for thee
take my life and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy Lives live for the glory of God. That is what we strive for. But we often get distracted by our own sin and the temptations of the world around us. Listen to 1 John 1, 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him, one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin.
1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Praise Jesus for His precious blood that washes us clean. Bethany, how long have you been playing that video game? I don't know. Sweetheart, that's not healthy for your body. Let's put that down. Let's go outside and let's play. Let's do something that's healthy for us. All right, let's go to the park. Thank you for listening. We're going to have fun at the park. Ethan, what do you have? Did you already eat your candy for today? Yes, you did, sweetheart. That's not a very good snack. That's not healthy for your body. If you're hungry, let's go find a snack that's healthy for your body, like an apple or a banana. Not more candy. You've already had enough candy for today. Let's go get an apple or a banana if you're, if you're hungry to do something healthy for our body. Hey, Ethan, watch me. Look at this. I'm going to do a front flip. No, you can't do that. You're too old. You have to get off. Abby, that's dangerous. I don't want you to hurt yourself. Oh, I guess I'll get down then. Ethan, will you help me? Thank you. Instead of going up, you can go through. Is that safer? Yes. Okay, let me do that then. Hi, my name is Miss Stacy, and you just saw three videos of things that happened in my house this week. Does that look familiar to you? Have those things ever happened in your house? Well, just because we can do things like front flips off of playground equipment or eat candy or play video games doesn't mean that we should do them all the time. We need to treat our bodies as the gifts that God has given us. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, that says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. My mom is a potter, and these are some of her pieces. She thought about these in her mind, and then she worked to create them with her hands. She perfected them and she painted them. And once they were exactly as she wanted them, she gave them as gifts to us. And when people come to our home, we use these to serve other people. And when we do that, that honors her and the artwork that she has made, which is just like or similar to God. God thought about each one of us before we were born, before there was time. He wanted, he picked our eye color and how many freckles we were going to have. And he put us together perfectly inside our mothers. We are his artwork. And then he sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to sacrifice for us. My mom has sacrificed her time and energy to make these beautiful things. Jesus sacrificed his life for us so that we can live with him forever. And if he died for us, if he was willing to die for us, each one of us, then we are important to him. 
And when we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that He is Lord, then He comes to live within us. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us and dwells in us. So God created us and God sacrificed His Son for us. And then God lives within us. So our bodies are very important to Him. It matters what we do with our bodies. If I took these things and I put dog food in them and I, and I left them outside, would that honor my mom and her artwork? No. If I took them and threw them around and I didn't care what happened to them, would it honor her? No, it wouldn't. I, would, I wouldn't put trash inside of these beautiful pieces and we shouldn't put too much trash inside of our bodies either. Our eyes shouldn't be focused on trash and we shouldn't have our bodies filled with trash. That means too much candy and things like that and seeing things that we shouldn't put our eyes on. So let's treat our bodies with the respect they deserve, remembering that He lives within us, that He purchased us, that He created us. And let's use our bodies to glorify and honor Him always. Let's stand together. Let's continue to lift our praise to the one that is worthy. Let's stand in awe before our God, our Maker. You are beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty and throne above. We sing it together. And I stand, I stand on you. I stand, I stand on you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe
righteous deeds. God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. You sing it one more time. Lord, I stand, I stand in awe. I stand, I stand in awe. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. This series takes us on a journey through the most complex and miraculous creations on earth, us. Your body's an incredible work of engineering. Who could understand all of this except one who put it all together to begin with? It is simply amazing. Human engineers can only dream of coming up with something where a person could live inside another person, have everything change in one single breath. From almost the moment of birth, our visual system begins processing data from the world around us. It's really just a way that God has designed our bodies if you wanted to get an eye to operate better than it does now, you'd have to relocate to an alternate universe. Our Creator has given all of us, through His design, the ability to do amazing things with our hands. This is something that's uniquely human. We have hands that are a gift from the Lord that connect us to everybody around us, and that's a tremendous privilege. The human body is the great work of the Creator. You and I possess the most efficient, the most complex, and the most wonderful work that an omnipotent and omniscient designer could make. I just stand in awe. Our bodies are amazing creations of God. Uh, we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians, and the next several weeks we're going to focus on our physical selves and our sexual relationships as we uh, finish out 
chapter 6 and go through chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's crucial to have a proper understanding of your body and to know why God created you and how he wants you to use your body. And it will help you become more like Jesus as you live in this world, to have that understanding. Now the reality is that uh, many of us are not very happy with our bodies, our physical selves. Uh, uh, the most recent data I've seen says more than half of all women are very insecure about their appearance, would like to change something. Uh, 37% of men feel that same way. And certainly Instagram and other social media applications contribute to that kind of dissatisfaction that we have with how we look uh, and uh, how our bodies appear. And uh, actually the pandemic has contributed to that. Psychology Today uh, says that uh, basically because we're doing so much uh, video conferencing, we are more or less looking at ourselves in a mirror all the time during this video conferencing, and we're not liking what we see. We're seeing things in that uh, video of ourselves that we're thinking uh, we'd like to change, and so it's causing us to uh, feel more insecure as we view our imperfections more regularly. And culture bombards us with unrealistic uh, ideas and images and expectations, and we compare ourselves with photoshopped images of celebrities and, and influencers. And, and this has a particularly negative impact on uh, uh, young women, uh, teenage girls. And, th and there is a, a great deal of anxiety and depression and eating disorder that uh, can get uh, drawn up as we measure ourselves against some impossible standard or some uh, false creation uh, via uh, the, the internet. Uh, even our toys are unrealistic. And maybe you've heard before that if Barbie was life-size, uh, she would be 5 feet 9 inches tall, she'd weigh 110 pounds, have size 3 shoes, and measurements 39, 16, 33. Not really humanly possible. And uh, if G.I. Joe Extreme was life-size, his biceps would be larger than, than any bodybuilder in history. And so these are the kind of images that we have uh, at us coming from all sides. Culture warps how we see our physical selves and, of course, uh, uh, how we use our bodies, how we view uh, those kinds of things. And the Corinthian church struggled with those same kinds of, of things, only in different ways. Uh, their culture, the Corinthian culture, believed in eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Uh, and so you can imagine the kind of, of culture that was, that kind of mentality. One scholar, one New Testament scholar, says that uh, people came to Corinth for a, quote, moral holiday, unquote. So they came to spend a lot of money on sinful pleasures, a moral holiday. Uh, Corinth was saturated with uh, sexual immorality. Uh, Greek philosopher Plutarch said this, that, that a wife should not be angry if her husband has relations with anyone else. She should understand it's because he respects her that he acts out his debauchery with other women. It's a very interesting philosophical viewpoint. Um, Roman statesman Cicero argued that it was too harsh and unrealistic to forbid young people from having sex even with prostitutes. Uh, he saw uh, sexual immorality as a cultural common practice, and he said, when was it ever blamed? When was it ever forbidden? Well, that kind of permissive attitude that was very much a part of Greek and Roman society uh, infiltrated the church as well. And so Paul writes to correct that approach, that attitude. Uh, 
And we need this instruction still today for our physical selves. Whatever your insecurities and imperfections and iniquities, it's crucial to know how God sees you, to appreciate why He made you, because it will impact uh, what you do with your body. How you treat your body has spiritual implications. I want to point out as we go through uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 to 20, I want to point out three truths, three basic truths about our uh, physical selves. The first is this. I don't seem to be in control of this. So if somebody else can be in control. There we go. Your body, that's too far, your body is designed for God not for yourself. Notice uh, what it says, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So Christians were claiming that God's grace very much need and want, desire God's grace, but they were claiming that the grace of God allowed them to live however they wanted to live, do whatever they wanted to do. They were free. And this is something that Paul addresses in Romans as well, but, but here he's pointing out that just because something is legal, just because something is allowed, just because something is tolerated or accepted in culture does not make it spiritually helpful, doesn't make it beneficial. You might have the freedom to do something, but nothing should control you. Nothing should dominate your life. Just the very reason that you have the freedom to do it does not mean that you should do it. Don't let your flesh dominate your thinking. Don't let your passions and appetites rule you. Now Paul also has to confront here this attitude, that, uh, uh, this idea that sex was no different than eating. The, the Corinthians, you see, had this uh, feeling, this, this perspective that the sexual act was not a moral issue any more than eating and digestion were moral issues. Those are natural processes, and, and that's how they, they felt sex should be. Just as you eat when you get hungry, so you should satisfy sexual desire when you have that desire in whatever way you can. So they saw sex as just a natural process without spiritual connection. And surely that is the perspective of our culture and society today and has been for some time. Uh, a, a, a reality show star some years ago uh, said uh, very bluntly, it's just sex. It's no big deal. It's just sex. Well, that's the perspective of our society. That was the perspective of Corinth as well. And Paul says, no, no, no. Your body and your soul are connected, and it is a big deal. God made your body for more than biological function. He designed it for himself. Uh, God sees you as not simply a spirit being, but one connected, a person, a whole person with a body. Your whole self is important to God. Uh, your spirit and soul are joined to a body that perspires and bleeds and wrinkles and gains weight and gets tired and becomes stressed and has bad breath and grows up and gets sick and works out and wears out. And why is it so important? Well, Paul continues, uh, verse 14, by His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. This is why. Your body is made for more than this life. 
Your body is so important, it will be resurrected. Don't disregard what God will resurrect. Not even death itself is going to end God's purpose for your body. I want you to understand that, that this world, this, this life is not all about what this body is for. God's created it for more than that. You are not dispensable. The body is a seedling of an even more glorious creation. And uh, that's why we recite in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. We're not disembodied spirits. There is a body attached to that. And uh, right now, this body bears the marks of a fallen world and is subject to the kinds of things that we wish it was not subject to. Uh, But the glory of God's promised resurrection is coming. And so that, that... promise of resurrection for the the body of that Alzheimer's patient that you've been caring for, your father, your mother. There's going to be a day when in Christ, all who trust in him, who have been ravaged by that horrible disease, uh, some call the long goodbye, that body will be transformed. And you're going to see them in a glory that you've never seen in their physical body before. That Down syndrome child whom you love with all your heart, uh, you're going to see him. You're going to see her with physical powers that you've never ever seen in this life. And that child that died who never had the opportunity to grow up, you're going to see him. You're going to see her at the peak of life. And those who've been ravaged by cancer, by disease, by crippling illness, you're going to see those bodies transformed. And those who've been harassed by uh, psychological illness and emotional imbalance, you're going to see them made new. And so Jesus is not just Lord of your soul, but of your body. He wants all of you transformed so that as a whole person, you will be with him and you will praise him for eternity. That's the hope of every one of us who's in Jesus. Uh, Not some disembodied, immortal soul, but a soul and body united forever to serve Jesus. Now, because that's true, because your body is designed for God, not just for yourself, there are some tests that you should run by uh, whatever activity that you do. Uh, Let me suggest these. You, You need to test your actions. Say, does it fit in with God's design for me? Knowing you've been designed for God, does this, whatever it is that I'm going to do or I'm doing, does it fit in with that? Next, is it profitable for my life? Does this actually add benefit? Is this a good thing for my life? Third, does it overpower or, or trap me? Paul says that, that's not, you might be free to do something, but you can't be controlled by it. Don't let it dominate your life. Next, is it detrimental to my testimony? or offensive to other believers. Do you understand that as followers of Jesus, we are not our own. Our actions and how we behave and interact, that they are connected to others. And so we have to take into account, is this going to be offending to someone else? Oh, I might be free to do it, but does that mean I should do it? And that, that deals, whether that's wearing deodorant or wearing a face mask, that's a good principle to bear in mind. Uh, and then, is it consistent with the dignity God made in me. Yes, we are we have dignity because we're made in the image of God, handcrafted by God. And so any action I take needs to pass that kind of test. Um I I believe it was the second time I broke uh one of my ankles, and it was like the week or two before I was graduating from college. And that was not a good time to break an ankle. 
I hobbled across the stage at graduation, was unhappy about that. Then I get home, I've graduated, and I'm like, I'm on crutches. And, and this was so not freeing. This was not how I pictured, now I'm going to start my life. I've graduated. And I'm, I it struggled, struggled. Couldn't do all kinds of things I wanted to do. Couldn't even drive. Well, um, after I believe it was just about two weeks, one night I'd had enough. And I found a pair of heavy-duty scissors, and I hacked that cast off of my leg. took me a long, long time. And I've never felt so free. I just felt fantastic. And um, the next morning, I wondered, you know, my, my mom, my dad, they're going to be concerned that they did raise an idiot. They'd been concerned about that before, but now is this going to cement the deal? But my mother was angry, and she was angry because... I had chosen to use the brand new sewing shears she had just purchased and had destroyed them in the process. Um, Those scissors, while they did the job and it was difficult and I had to soak the cast and all that to get it off, that was not what they were designed for. It worked. That's not what they were designed for. You can use your body for sexual immorality and all kinds of other things, but that's not what God made it for. That's not why he designed it. And you will miss the beauty of his purpose, the joy in fulfilling God's design. The second principle here, the second truth, is that your body is bonded with Christ, not independent. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, let me how do you become members of Christ? How do you become bonded, connected to Christ? Well, it's when you realize that you are dead in sin, deserving of the justice and wrath of God, and you turn to the only Savior. Where on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for sin, He became the perfect sacrifice so that all who trust in Him, all who turn and cling to Him, will be set free from sin's penalty and the fear of death. And when you believe, you are now in Christ. You are joined, you are connected, you are members of Christ, and nothing can separate you from Him. No power of hell, no scheme of man can separate you from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. You belong to him now and forever. And that means, by the way, that you are never alone when you put your trust in Christ. You are joined to him. You are connected to him. You are part of his body. And so Paul says, since that's true, how can you carry Jesus off with you to do something immoral? Uh, And he takes this to the extreme of engaging a prostitute. Uh, The Greek word he uses is pornes, which is someone who engages in unlawful sexual uh, intercourse. In context, it refers to sex for hire. Now, I don't know how the pandemic, and I haven't seen uh, news articles on it, how it has affected sex workers. I don't know. Uh, I wonder, are escorts and prostitutes struggling? But I do know this, our digital world has created far more uh, sex for hire opportunities than ever before. And so as uh, the New York Times pointed out, sites like OnlyFans have changed sex work forever. Uh, On sites like that, people create and sell their own content, pictures, videos, uh, one-on-one conversations, all for a price. 
And the Times called it the paywall of porn. Now, even without physical contact, so I'm po- there's no physical contact there. Even without that physical contact, that is pornace. That is sex for hire. That's what that is. And when you belong to Jesus, your connection to him is why you must not connect sexually with someone outside the bounds of marriage. To share a sexual act with another person is a bonding experience. And it's not just a temporary physical act. It actually invests a piece of who you are, a piece of your soul. The word joined here, when it says you're joined to a prostitute or joined to the Lord, the the Greek word means to be glued or cemented together. There's a very permanent bonding there. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this when he said, Uh, Every time a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, a spiritual bond is established between them, which must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. That's a very powerful statement, but I think it's true based upon what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. Uh, I put it in this way. You leave a little piece of your soul in the bed of every person that you sleep with. Every time you do that, it causes a little more disintegration uh, in your life. And for the believer, there's no such thing as casual sex. Absolutely not. Uh, When you belong to Jesus, you take Jesus wherever you go. And the fact that Christ is always present can be both wonderful and horrifying. Uh, Within God's boundaries of love and marriage, sexual relations can be a worship experience. Outside of God's boundaries, it is disintegrating to your soul. The third truth here, your body is a holy place, not neutral territory. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Remember, Paul is writing to believers in Jesus, so these words are applicable to every one of us in here who belongs to Jesus, and it says flee, run away from. Uh, In fact, the the tense of this verb makes make the habit, make it a habit to run away from uh, sexual immorality. Um, If you belong to Jesus, one thing you should run from is this immorality. Porneon is the Greek word here, and it refers to every kind of sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage. Uh, The National Center of Health Statistics reported that uh, uh, more than 50% of teens aged 15 to 19 had engaged in oral sex, and contrary to what our culture says, oral sex is sex. Uh, At least 10% of teen girls admitted to having same-sex partners. In college, that number goes up to 25%. Same-sex acts are sex. Each week, more than 26 million, perhaps more than 30 million adults have sexual encounters with someone other than their spouse. And and so that's our culture. And for those of us who are in Christ, don't talk about the world and what they need to do. We only talk about what those of us who claim to belong to Jesus must do. And for those of us who belong to Jesus, Paul says, run away from that. This is the only place in the New Testament that tells us that. Run away. Now, why this special warning about sexual sin? Well, it's not because sexual sin is worse than any other kind of sin. It is not. That's not a biblical concept. No, uh, why, why this warning about sexual sin? Because sex touches the core of who we are. It's not worse than any other sin, but the consequences can be greater, can be more significant than we realize. 
Elizabeth Sandoval is a neo-feminist. I'm not quite sure what that is, but she wrote in support of abstinence. Uh, so she herself committed to abstain from sex until married. Why? Here's why. She said, so many marriages end in divorce because people are too free with sex. It's false intimacy. She said, women willingly sacrifice such an important part of their being for just a few moments of pleasure. They don't contemplate the profoundness of sex. She said, women give it up as if it's nothing when in fact it is everything. In other words, a neo-feminist thinks that sex is profound enough to keep within marriage. How much more should that be true for the Christian to understand it that way? Why? Well, you're not neutral territory. Christians are bearers of the Holy Spirit. To sin sexually is an offense against the Holy Spirit. It violates the core of who you are. You are one who has been bought by Christ. Uh, Your body is a cathedral of the Spirit. You aren't just some hunk of flesh on the the slave block to the highest bidder uh, or one who can do as he or she wills. Your price has been paid by the blood of Jesus. You belong to, to God. You have a new master. You are not your own. And think of it, you are always in a temple. If you belong to Jesus, you realize every second of your life, you are always in a temple. You are a holy place. And the good news is that even for those who have fallen, even for those who have left pieces of their soul in the beds of strangers, there is great forgiveness in Christ. There's healing. There's restoration. Some consequences might well remain, but for those who confess their sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. And so the call is for God's people to honor Him with your body. Uh, The word for honor here, by the way, that last sentence in this chapter, the word for honor, the Greek word is dokiadzo, and it means to praise, to exalt to glorify. So how can your body produce a doxology to God? How can my body doxologize God? Well, let me share with you five ways, uh, just general principles that can happen. Number one, eat, drink, work, and play with thanksgiving. Now that's the opposite of the Corinthian idea, which was eat, drink, and play because tomorrow you die. This is eat, drink, and with thanksgiving to God. And so, uh, even though we're now a few days away from a holiday in which we celebrate mostly by eating more than we should, uh, that's fine for a day, uh, that, but, but then we, we, and we give thanks to God, right? And every day for the meal that we have, for the opportunity that we have to work or to play, to enjoy life, yes, life is a gift from God and we do that with thanksgiving. That's how I honor God with my body. Yes, I'm six feet two and weigh 230 and that's... Too much, so I've been trying to fix that by trying really hard to grow taller, and it's not working, but I'm working on that. Number two, run from sexual sin and learn self-control. So that's, that's the, the encouragement from Scripture is to run away, turn away, be in the habit of turning from sexual sin, and, and then learn self-control. How do you do that? Well, self-control is one of the gifts of the Spirit, isn't it? And as the Holy Spirit lives in us as a temple and we learn and we grow and we become more like Jesus, we become more and more self-disciplined. That's how we honor God with our body. Third, persist in doing good things, especially for believers. 
That's the call. Yes, we should do good to everyone. But as the people of God, we honor God with our body. And we do that especially by doing good things for one another, others in the body of Christ. Fourth, care for your physical self. Because all of you, it's not just your spirit, your soul that's important to God. It's your body, the one he's made to, to he will raise up again. And so care for that physical self. Get to the, the, the rest and the, the exercise and the sustenance that you, that you need to have. And fifth, express praise and worship to God in Jesus' name. That's how I honor God with my body. And so I'm going to sing and I'm going to pray and I'm going to read and I'm going to declare uh, the, the glory of God in every way I can with the lips and the mouth and the mind and the body that he's given me. And that's how I honor the Lord. That's how I give doxology to him. So what's the motivation to do that? Well, the motivation is that my body is priceless. So is yours. Its value is set by the precious blood of Christ. You are made in the image of the Creator. You are a residence of the Lord of the universe. And one day you will be perfected in the very presence of God. And you will be like Him for you will see Him as He is. So I put it in these words that be the temple you were made to be. They view our bodies in that way. It's a very biblical thing. Back in 2002, I conducted a funeral for a 10-year-old boy named Mark. And um, I, I, I still have the program from that day, and I flipped through it this week and looked at all the pictures. It was just filled with pictures of Mark through the 10 years of his, of his brief life. See, Mark was born with a disease that... Uh, had a life expectancy of up to 10 years. So uh, in that sense, it was not a surprise that Mark died at that young age, given that dreadful disease that he had. Um, Mark was unable to speak throughout his life, but he had a radiant smile. Uh, he had a, a stunted, twisted body, but he was an overwhelming inspiration to those who knew him, his family and others. The, the family attended our church, and they lived right down the street from us, and so we would see them uh, out for walks and so forth. But I conducted the funeral that day, and after we had the, 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 the service in the funeral chapel, it was just a short walk, actually, to the graveside. And so I led that pr funeral procession out, and there was a lot of people there. And as we started that walk, just the skies opened up and a torrential rain began to pour down on us. It was just soaking. It was, just, it was as if the heavens were sobbing. Uh, and yet, that funeral was drenched in hope. Throughout, drenched in hope. Uh, for example, his parents stated this. They said, Though there is an empty place in our home and in our hearts, we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in a resurrection where we will see our precious child again in perfect form. And there at the graveside, as I did the committal service, I said these words, Now we commit Mark's body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and yet we look forward to the day of resurrection when Mark and all the people of God will be raised with a new body and will be forever with the Lord. That misshapen, malformed, ten-year-old body was a temple of the living God. And so are you. Honor God with your body. Be the temple you were made to be. 
Here's a prayer that I wrote this week, and I want to uh, first read these words myself to you, and then I'm going to invite you to pray them aloud with me. So we will do this twice, but first let me listen as I read these words of prayer. Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you for creating me in your image. I praise you that through Jesus my body is a temple for your Holy Spirit. Empower me to honor you with my body. Enable me to live as your masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Encourage me to long for your appearing when I will be fully transformed into the likeness of Christ. I ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me? And as you stand, join me in praying aloud this prayer again. Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you for creating in me in your image. I praise you that through Jesus, my body is a temple for your Holy Spirit. Empower me to honor you with my body. Enable me to live as your masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Encourage me to long for your appearing when I will be fully transformed into the likeness of Christ. I ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh 
this benediction. Now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Thanks be to God. Go in peace. Now you're